again, it was nighttime. I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was about 3 a.m. And a physician comes in to check my vitals, which is typical. Someone comes in and checks my vitals every two hours, and then they leave. Well, this physician does something different. She comes over to my bedside. She gets down on one knee, and she says, Chris, look me in the eyes. And she was kind of mean about it. And her voice, it sounds like she came straight out of a Western movie. And she says, my name is Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? And I say, no. And I'm thinking, you know, where is this going? And she says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. And I want you to know, you will beat this. You will beat this. And in that moment, I just break down crying. I needed to hear those words so badly. I was so scared. And in that moment, she helped kind of restore that faith and hope uh, that I had lost at that time. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Hi, my name is Colleen Swindoll-Thompson, Director of Reframing Ministries at Insight for Living and also the host of this podcast, Reframing Ministries. Today, I get to interview someone that I admire so much, and I'm delighted to introduce him to you. His name is Chris Norton. Chris, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks, Colleen, for having me. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. Well, for everybody listening, um, we're going to be discussing one thing that will happen to every person on the earth. And that is they will come in touch with something called adversity, some kind of challenge, a calamity, a catastrophe, some kind of disaster, a difficult event or circumstance that is beyond their ability to control. And maybe that's exactly where you are as you listen to this podcast. Chris is going to be able to speak into your life like few people that I know. Chris, why don't you go ahead and start off, take us back to the event that changed your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. So it started for me back in October 16th, 2010, as an 18-year-old kid at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. And up to this point in my life, everything is going according to plan. Uh, life just uh, kind of was easy at that point. Uh, no major obstacles or adversity. And I just kind of thought that's how life would go for me. And uh, my plans were simple to be an All-American football player, meet the girl of my dreams, get a college education, and hopefully someday make enough money to have my own lake house. Or better yet, the girl of my dreams family already owns a lake house. <laughs> that, <laughs> that sounds was, great. Yeah, that was my big plans uh, as an 18-year-old kid. And uh, for college football, things were going really well. I was earning more and more playing time. And then on October 16th of 2010, in the third quarter of our game against Student Central College, I'm sprinting downfield during the kickoff. Um, I see this opening forming, and I know the ball carrier who has the ball is going to run through that opening, and I'm going to stop him. And so I make a diving play uh, to collide with him, but instead of getting my head in front of his body and making contact with my shoulder, my head made the most contact with mm -hmm. his legs. And in a split, like a split second, I lose all feeling in movement from my neck down. And I hear the sounds of the other players crashing into each other. Uh, the whistle blows, the pile clears, but I can't get up. 
I'm just stuck. Hmm. And I'm completely conscious. I'm just uh, laying there face down. And I'm telling myself, okay, Chris, you, you got to stand up. I keep telling myself, Chris, get up. And I was worried that they're going to stop the game for me. The athletic trains were going to run out. Like that was like my worst case scenario of like having the game stop for me while I'm waiting to, to get up off the field because it felt like any other play. Um, and then eventually the athletic trainers run out and they start checking on me and they roll me on my back and I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't feel them touching me. And, and that's kind of the questions they're asking. Like, Chris, can you make a fist with your hand? <laughs> Nothing happened. Okay. Uh, Chris, can you feel us touching your leg? And I couldn't feel a thing. And that's I kept crazy. thinking, okay, in time it'll, it'll come back. Uh, just give a little bit more, just wait a little bit longer. And, and nothing was happening. And um, slowly but surely, it was kind of sinking into uh, me that, you know, something serious is happening. And that's when my, my world started to kind of cave in. Well, you were quite humble in saying that you were, you know, you had a plan for life. Because when we talked before the um, recording of this podcast, I mean, you were an all-American player. You were on full scholarship. You were raised in a Christian home. You were involved in church, in Bible studies. I mean, you are a great kid, you know, so kind of like things are going along really well. And then all of a sudden, one accident happened, and you could not move. In fact, in one of the books that um, you have written, I think you and your dad wrote this together, the quote mm -hmm. from one of your coaches, he said, as the trainers worked to assess the severity of Brookie's injuries and his parents and siblings made their way to the field, time stood still. No one in the stadium of 5,000-plus people uttered a word. It was totally silent. Do you remember any of that, or were you just trying to make a fist and move your legs and answer? What, what was that like? Yeah, it was eerily quiet. I, you know, I could tell just everything just kind of was still. And everyone was just waiting on on me and also curious of, you know, what's happening, uh, what's going on. Uh, because I was down the field for probably a total of 30 minutes. And so it just the longer I was there, the more I think not only for me, but for everyone there, it just kind of the severity of the situation just kind of kept creeping in. So you were fully conscious. Yeah, everything was just so still, so quiet. You could just tell as time went on, uh, not only myself, but other people there just becoming more fearful hmm. of what's going to happen and what's going on. Because uh, you never want to see anybody on the field that long, uh, especially when the, that player, myself, wasn't moving at all. I know my parents are used to you know me kind of fighting through things, you know, brushing it off. And moving around and getting off to the sideline. And uh, for me to just be completely emotionless, I know they were just, that made it, things even worse and more terrifying. Uh, the fact that I wasn't like grabbing a knee or, or rolling or yelling in pain, it was just completely motionless in silence. Well, as I watch some of your videos, you are definitely an incredibly determined person. Fast forward a few days and you learn the doctors tell you you have 3% chance of ever walking what was that like when they walked in the door? What were you thinking? Had you heard anything by that time? When I woke up from surgery, I mean, I, by that point, I knew this is serious. Like, my this is life altering. I didn't know to what degree. 
but when they told me uh, I had a 3% chance, but it was a 3% chance of ever moving or feeling anything below my neck. So actually much more than walking. Uh, walking really at that point was the least of my concerns or anybody's concerns. It was more just making sure uh, I could recover from a life-altering surgery that affects so many different things and elements to your body. And so just scratching an itch on your face or feeding yourself, little things like that that you take so much for granted for. And it just, everything was just stripped away. It was, um, it was like, you know, having like your worst nightmare and then your nightmare becoming your reality. And I was just stunned when that doctor told me that I had a 3% chance. Uh, it was just, it was just so much shock. And, but in that, I don't know what it was, but there's something inside of me just, just felt and just resisted the odds. It was just a sense of urgency came over me. And I was just like, no way, not me. Like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes <sighs> to beat this. And I will not be the 97% that doesn't recover from this. I'll do whatever it takes to be that 3%. And so I got to work on day one doing whatever I could uh, to get out of my situation because I just could not uh, fathom living my life the way I was. And I was going to do whatever I could. Which is so interesting because in the in one of the videos that I watched, you were saying, well, 3%, there's no way that's going to be true. I am going to show my doctors that I am going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Which you eventually do, but let's back up. And um, your dad wrote on Caring Bridge, one of the journal's entries that he wrote, Saturday night when things were at their darkest, I sat with my eyes closed and thought about every wasted night. Every wasted minute, I had spent worrying about the things that didn't matter. Stress at work, drama with friends, or a youth sport, you name it. I thought, what a waste. When you're finally faced with a real challenge, you realize how much time we spend worrying about insignificant things. I mean, this was a dividing line for you in your life between what is significant and what is not significant. You're sitting there with a broken C3, C4. Was that the level or C2, C3? Yeah, C3, C4 fracture. So you're sitting there recovering from this spinal surgery, and the doctor says, probably won't move at all ever again, and your dad is at his darkest moment. What carried you both through that? A huge uh, instrumental thing for us was our faith and just our uh, hope that God did not leave us and that he was with us the entire time and uh, would help carry us through. And that's what gave me that kind of that light at the end of the tunnel, uh, knowing that uh, with God, you know, anything is possible. And I don't know what that looked like. I didn't know why this was happening, but I felt like something would come of it. And I just had to do my part and I just had to trust in him and not give up and to see what uh, plan he had for me because you know life and God has a better plan for you than the plan you had for yourself. And I, I wanted to uh, find that out and I wasn't going to just uh, throw in the towel and quit. Was that your immediate thought or were you, did you question the Lord? Were you angry at times? What kind of emotions went through you? Because you spent your life playing sports. I mean, it. when I read on you, there were you played, I think, every sport that one can play in the United States. Yeah. So there was clearly a drive that got halted. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what helped 
give me the confidence too to to try and to push through it because I've had workouts and practices where I didn't think I could finish, but I finished. There was games where I thought there's no chance of a comeback, but we came back. And just as an athlete, you know that no matter what happens, whether you fail or you win, that you have to keep showing up the next day and keep trying and keep working. So having that as a background just helped instill me to want to fight and know that it's possible and that you can beat the odds and that um, even when things are hard, you can still get through it. And so uh, that kind of helped give that confidence with my faith. But it was it was challenging. During the day, you know, I had great distractions with family and friends and my physical therapy. But when night came and when it was dark, that's when I really questioned everything. That's when all my fears just came uh, piling in and uh, I cried myself to sleep. And I did question, like, is it even worth the try? Is it worth all this time and effort to keep going? Like, am I just wasting my time? Should I just quit? now and just also asking god like why is this happening how can this be part of your plan like i do not understand and i just had to read scripture i honestly just had to wait it out until the sun came up uh, so i can get back to work and just um, pour myself into my recovery and the people that were around me but uh, nighttime was by far the worst. Yeah, nighttime really, really is hard when we're going through our trials. The sun goes down, and as David says, joy comes in the morning. Um, I'm sure there were nights where you just laid there wondering, where is God in all of this? Um, one of the books that I love, Making Sense Out of Suffering by Peter Kraft, he says, we Christians talk a good game of God, but really, God makes a pretty unspectacular and non total difference in our lives most of the time. We don't really practice the presence of God much. We don't really do all to the glory of God. In fact, most of us don't even pray regularly. However, our only qualification for God's grace is our emptiness, not our fullness, our undeservingness, not what we deserve. And in those moments, you had to feel like, I don't deserve this. And God is saying, I have allowed this. And we're going to walk through this together. Did you feel his presence begin to grow in you as you reflected on past events that you thought were totally lost? Yeah, I did. There was moments where I felt his presence. I know uh, in particular that first night uh, when I'm going through my tests and scans after my injury and I arrive at the hospital and I'm going into the MRI machine. And if you've been in an MRI machine, it's this tight uh machine the tunnel of a room and they move you inside and the wall is like right on top of you it makes this like loud jackhammer sound right in your ear you have to lay there uh, still for an hour which lying still was really easy for me at the time (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the the thoughts that were going through my head like was just like okay why is this happening like i just want to escape this I had this neck brace on at the time that was just driving and digging into the back of my head. It was so uncomfortable. And I just thought, this is going to be the longest hour of my life. Like, this is going to be miserable. And I, one of my prayers at that time was, God, can I just have a break? Can, mm. I just, can you just let me sleep for an hour? Like, can I just get an hour break? And before I know it, I'm being lowered out of the MRI machine. I'd fallen asleep and I could not believe I was able to sleep through all of that everything that was going on 
And I just felt uh, the grace of God in, in that moment. I wasn't alone. And it was just a, a small little blessing given everything that was happening around me. And that was just kind of like the start of me just also intentionally looking for blessings. I think we can easily overlook uh, blessings in our life or things in ways that God is working in us or for us. And we miss it because we're too consumed with our problems or, or the mistakes that we've made. And uh, I was thankfully, I, I caught that one. Uh, another a game changer for me and something that I felt like God put an angel in my life was on the fourth night of my hospital stay. I Again, it was nighttime. I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was about 3 a.m. And a physician comes in to check my vitals, which is typical. Someone comes in and checks my vitals every two hours, and then they leave. Well, this physician does something different. She comes over to my bedside. She gets down on one knee, and she says, Chris, look me in the eyes. And she was kind of mean about it. And she's this short, slender woman, short reddish hair, glasses. And her voice, it sounds like she came straight out of a Western movie. <gasps> and she says, my name is Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? And I say, no. And I'm thinking, you know, where is this going? Right. I'm, I'm so confused. And she says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. And I want you to know you will beat this. You will beat this. And in that moment, I just break down crying. I needed to hear those words so badly. I was so scared. And in that moment, she helped kind of restore that faith and hope uh, that I had lost at that time. And it just kind of gave me the strength to, to keep going that's worth to try. Did you see her again? Or was that the only interaction you had with her? I would see her very um, seldomly. Um, but that was a time that I'll absolutely never forget and just really makes me realize just how powerful words can be and how much of an impact that we can make on somebody else. And that was such a, made such a huge difference in my life. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, for her to say, you will beat this. Henry Nowen, um, in one of his books, he says, there is suffering ahead of us, immense suffering, a suffering that will continue to tempt us to think we've chosen the wrong road and that others are more shrewd than we were. But don't be surprised by pain. Be surprised by joy. Be surprised by the little flower that shows its beauty in the midst of a barren desert. Be surprised by the immense healing power that keeps bursting forth like springs of fresh water from the depths of our pain. She was one of those blasts of spring water. Yeah, absolutely. And you begin, you continue to just dig and find those things. Is that part of what kept you going? Yeah, absolutely. I, I held on to um, those moments and to moments of progress. Um, so, you know, one of the first things I was able to do was shrug my left shoulder after surgery. And that was such a victory. I was so happy because of a shoulder shrug. You know, it's little things like that where I tried to celebrate and, and have joy in uh, versus trying to uh, use it as a comparison to where things were before I was hurt, uh, which is really easy to do that. I kind of dive into the past and make comparisons. But that shoulder shrug was a victory, and that was something to celebrate. And I just had to remind myself um, to stay present 
and to make sure to look for, yeah, those blessings and, and those miracles. You know, it's interesting in the reframing process, one of our, in the acrostic, um, one of the steps is to affirm the positive. Regardless of how big or small, we don't look at what was, but in forming a new normal, it's affirming the positive. And you began to notice, I can shrug my shoulder and I can start feeling this toe, which was a very incredible story. You started feeling the toe and your doctor said, well, Chris, that's a phantom pain. That doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the fact that there's some connection. And you were like, I'm going to show him and tell me what happened with that. Yeah. So I woke up with this new sensation that my left big toe I was excited about it. Any kind of new sensation was a big deal. This is about the five-week mark. I've been making some progress, but there's nothing more at this point that I want than to move something in my legs. Like I've been praying and hoping to move something in my legs to give me that glimpse of hope of someday walking uh, because there's nothing more that I wanted to walk. Well, when I tell the doctor this new sensation, uh, he didn't care. Like He could care less. I was frustrated. I beg him to just take my shoe off, take my sock off, examine this left big toe. And yeah, he said, it's it's a phantom feeling that you made it up and happens to a lot of people with spinal cord injuries. But at the end of the day, Chris, you'll never move anything in your legs ever again. That's so frustrating that they say that. They don't know how big our God is. Absolutely, they (laughs) don't. And it just, uh, it was so, it was so painful uh, to hear that, like something that you, are working so hard for and then someone else makes it feel impossible and thankfully I was with my dad at the time and I'll never forget you know him turning to me with tears in his eyes which I've never seen him cry before I, I consider my dad to be the strongest person I know mm-hmm. and he tells me Chris do not let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do yeah. and I look back at him tears in my eyes and say I never will and uh, again I I'm, but I put everything I could to try to prove this doctor wrong. And I hear George's words of, you will beat this. You will beat this in every single physical therapy session. And I just uh, apply myself and work. At, in, in every single moment I was awake, I, I was working. And I just knowing that your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. Hmm. Well, not even a week later, on Thanksgiving morning, I wiggled that exact left big toe. He said it would never move again. <laughs> I was pumped. I was so fired up. I was telling every nurse and therapist, you go <laughs> find that doctor who I like to call Dr. Phantom. And you bring him in here and tell him the Phantom this as I wiggle my toe in his face. <laughs> now he was gone that morning. Day. Oh, he was gone. Well, <laughs> did you find him? <laughs> you know, it just how happened that he rotated off as my doctor. But um, what was really special and really cool was that, you know, when he came to be my doctor, maybe a couple months later, he watched one of my physical therapy sessions and he did come up and apologize uh, for what he said to me and that he's so proud of me and thankful for how far I've come and that he'll never doubt anything I say again. And I thought that was a pretty neat moment for him to be um, just so, so show so much humiliation, uh, humility. Um, right. and that he was wrong, and but he's glad that he's wrong and to see me doing so well. You know, so many times, Eugene Peterson's book, Your God is Too Small, so many times we um, hear words, like you said earlier, words are so powerful. And the fact that she told you, 
you're going to beat this. And he's saying, you're pretending that's not going to ever happen. I mean, the words that you chose to believe shows God is just incredibly big. It doesn't mean that he will always allow everyone who's gone through a cervical spine injury, bring them through like you were brought through. It does mean, though, that he's with us as we struggle through it. In fact, you were one of the unusual patients in choosing to ask for more physical therapy. One of the spots that I read said you had two hours and you said, I want a third. And then you had three hours. You said, I want a fourth. I mean, this was no simple rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it was a matter of just fighting for everything. And yeah, I asked for the fourth hour. They said no at first and I asked, well, why not? And they said, well, no one's ever asked for a fourth hour. And then I asked <laughs> well, for they a have fifth now. hour. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked for a fifth hour and they said no again. And this time they meant it. I never actually got it. But um, I had my physical therapist, occupational therapist, write up workouts I can do on my own outside of my scheduled therapy time. And so that's uh, what I did. I was just constantly working. And kind of to kind of go back to what you were saying is, you know, yeah, you can choose to listen to that you will beat this or you can listen to the Dr. Phantoms of the world of uh, you're never going to move anything in your legs ever again. And uh, what we pay attention to can make all the difference in what we choose to believe. And I think it's easy to kind of fall into the, the believing, the belief of other people who have negative views of you and, and give you a reason to quit uh, when things are hard. But you just got to hold on to those Georgias into your life and believe in them. Um, you have worked so hard and you had a tremendous motivation as progress continued. Tell us a little bit about the reason that you wanted to be able to walk, not just because of being an athlete and being determined, but there was someone in your life or had come into your life. Tell us about that. Yeah, so when I was in college about three years after I met this incredible woman named Emily and I we just kept talking and talking and just I grew into this relationship which you know leading up to that you know I was worried about a woman ever wanting to be with me like would they want to take on uh, the added work and responsibility and the challenges that I have to face because um, just kind of by association, there's things that I'm unable to do or uh, can't work through, you know, it kind of falls onto your partner sometimes and just I'd be a lot to undertake and she didn't care. Um, she just saw me for me and where I, who I was, um, not the way I, I get around. So I meet her and she really helped first um, accomplish my first goal which was to walk across the stage in my college graduation. And she really helped train and push me uh, to make that happen, which went viral all across uh, the world and 350 million views. And it was just uh, insane just how well received that video was. Right, because I've watched it about 100 times. So there was a shout out to look up Chris Norton on walking through graduation and get your tissue box. It's so it's so fabulous. But that morning, you were getting up and getting ready, and you were you were you scared? Yeah, I mean, I was terrified. I was too. I, I would put all the pressure on myself to make it happen. That uh, versus just kind of trusting in 
and God and like his plans for me. I was trying to make sure like my plans happened and uh, I just made it a lot more stressful than it needed to be. But um, thankfully it went really well and I was able to uh, get across the stage. Although my original goal was to walk independently across the stage, which uh, you, you could almost say that you could have failed, but I was really proud of how far I've come and I, I know how hard I worked for that. And I was very thankful for that. And I was able to walk across the stage with the help of Emily. How um, many years big. after the accident was that? That would have been five years after the accident. So five incredibly hard years of hard work, determination, focusing on the positive. When we talked earlier, you said your family, one family member was with you at all times while you were recovering at Mayo. And the finding support part of reframing is enormous. Did you... Was that huge in your own life as well? The family support? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They were, like they said, they never left my side. Mm. They were always there for me. Uh, they were there with me to get me to a physical therapy session, to help me with whatever I needed. Uh, they were just always there. Just like one example of their character and their sacrifices they made for me was my oldest sister, Alex. I have two sisters. Uh, she actually moved to an apartment off campus at Luther College so that she could help with me transitioning back to school. And so she would help me like get to classes, to drive me to appointments, whatever I needed. Uh, she was always close by. And so she relocated just to help me and make that transition back to college so I can live a normal college life. And then I had you know, my teammates who I've only known for eight weeks they moved into an apartment with me, and they all took on the responsibility as full-time caregivers. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So I was so incredibly blessed to have an amazing support system. And uh, the list of things that they've helped me do uh, just kind of goes on and on. <laughs> How did you respond to being someone who was so very capable and independent to being fully dependent? That was really tough. Because it was painful because it was, yeah, like you said, you, you're always able to do it yourself. And then to having to ask someone else to do it for you hmm. uh, was incredibly hard. When you want to do it yourself, you know how to do it yourself, but you're just not physically capable. It was kind of a identity shift of just coming to terms with where you're at and knowing that you need help. And this is just kind of how life is. But to also be incredibly grateful too. There was like a period where I kind of was felt like a victim a little bit of like, hey, you got to help me because I can't do it. So just help me out uh, versus being grateful and thankful for the help that they uh, give me that, you know, whatever they're offering or what they're doing for me is also a sacrifice of their time and whatever they were doing to be there for me, especially when you know, they're there for me all the time and not to take that for granted. Uh, it, it was a kind of a tough road to, to kind of figure out, but I feel like uh, I was able to, to get through it and just come to terms and grips with needing help. Um, I found another um, quote that I thought was absolutely astounding and wonderful, and it also comes from Henry Nowen, and he says, where is peace to be found? The answer is surprising but clear, in weakness. Few people are telling us the truth, but there is peace to be found in our weakness, in those places of our hearts where we feel most broken, most insecure, most in agony, most afraid. And why is it there? 
Because in our weakness, our familiar ways of controlling and manipulating the world are being stripped away, and we're forced to let go of doing everything. We're forced to let go of thinking and relying on our own self-sufficiency. Right there, where we are most vulnerable, the peace that is not of this world comes to us. Claim that peace that remains unknown to so many and make it your own. Were there times, Chris, when you just had to claim, Lord, I'm going to be at peace with this, even though this is so outside of my comfort box? Yeah, all the time. Uh, one thing that comes to mind was when I had to get a an accessible vehicle. First off, I refused to want to buy an accessible vehicle. I only wanted to rent a vehicle uh, with a ramp because I was going to not need it. And so like buying an accessible vehicle was like me giving in. Hmm. And then on top of that, I did not want anyone to see that I had an accessible vehicle. So if like we were going to go somewhere, I wanted my parents or my friends to like park in the back um, so that other people just didn't see Hmm. the help that I needed with like a vehicle like that. I needed something special in order for me to get around. Like that was just like incredibly humiliating. Hmm. And something I had to, you know, just got over. Or there's a time when I was trying to, uh, we were going out to eat for my birthday and I had to get transferred into a front seat of a vehicle of my friends. Well, when he transferred me into the front seat, his butt bumped against the lock. He shut the door and the keys were inside the car. And so I was locked in the car. Oh, no. And all I needed to do was just lift up my hand, you know, not even that far to unlock the vehicle and I couldn't do it like I was too weak my arm was too weak to lift up to unlock the button and I felt so embarrassed I was so crushed I was so frustrated like I cannot even lift my arm up to unlock the door and I just felt tears just starting to well up in my eyes and I'm thinking oh no not not only can I not do this, but I'm going to cry in front of all my friends. Like that vulnerability in itself was uh, terrifying, especially when I was 19 years old at the time. Uh, thankfully, one of my buddies um, started fogging up the windows and then put his eyes uh, like they were binoculars through the windows. <laughs> and it started saying, Chris, you're about to suffocate. You only have five minutes of oxygen left. Conserve your breathing. Like, Start breathing slowly. Like he just started making, like, kind of made light of the situation. <laughs> That's just, great. And just, I just busted out laughing. I just <laughs> thought it was hilarious of kind of how he made humor out of it. And it just allowed me to breathe and just kind of collect myself and just realize, you know what? There's going to be a lot of moments like this. Like, life is not going to be easy. I'm going to have to be put in this vulnerable place, but you can still enjoy it. Uh, regardless and still make the most of it you can either crack or crack up and that was just a a huge breakthrough for me to just let things go of just things aren't going to go smoothly you know what an amazing event really I mean that was a sounds like a turnkey moment where here you're devastated and rightly so and understandably so and yet your buddy because as a caregiver myself giving is so it changes me And so you're giving other people the opportunity to be changed when you ask for help. And there you turned something into what could have cracked, actually cracked you up. And from then on, it's like, you know, this is, we're going to have to roll with this. What a great, great memory that is, Mm -hmm. even though it started out really crappy. (laughs) Yeah. So 
the organization Photolanthropy got a hold of your story and they chose to make a movie called Seven Yards out of your story. And that meant Seven Yards. Where did that title come from? So I set the goal that I want to walk Emily down the aisle of her wedding. I didn't know how I was going to do it or how far to go. I knew I wanted to go further than five yards, but no further than 10 yards. I think that would be way too hard to ever try to accomplish. And so seven is right in between five and 10. And it's also, you know, just been seven years since my injury. And it's just a a holy spiritual number. And it just felt right. Um, And so that's the goal was, okay, I got to get seven yards with Emily down the aisle after we're married. And we're going to do it side by side. Wow. And so the the Photolanthropy team, they also helped kind of with that idea as I was trying to work through my goal. And so we decided to go with seven yards film. And this is months and months before the walk even happened. So as you can imagine, the pressure to make sure I got seven yards uh, they didn't put any pressure on me, but I put pressure on myself. Like, okay, they're going to name a film after seven <laughs> yards. I, I better, better walk do this. seven yards. Yeah. Like this, I got to make this happen. But um, yeah, so that was the the goal. And um, uh, they're incredibly talented filmmakers. <laughs> what was that like as they filmed your movie and there was a reenactment of your injury and then the therapy that followed? I mean, you watched other people act out your life that you lived, what was that like? Well, actually, so the reenactment was me reliving the more heart, like difficult moments of my life. So like having to like recreate a very vulnerable moment, you know, was tough, but seeing how skilled they are and what they're able to accomplish and the way it brings a story to life and for people to kind of be able to visually see it as the story's being told, I think is it's going to make it so a really emotional connection and it's going to really reach a lot of people and especially people who are going through their own adversity. So that's where, you know, I, you know, I went ahead and, and did it, but like things like with my spinal cord injury, like laying on the field again with my football uniform, Oh gosh, it was surreal, but yet, because I'm, you know, at that point when I did it, I was seven years out from my injury. Like, I knew where the story went. I know how the story, like, ends for the most part. Right. And I'm really good with where I'm at and who I am and how life is going. So I had a lot of peace with it. And it wasn't hard because I consider my injury to be a blessing now. Hmm. And it has shaped, like, who I am and where I am and the family that I have. So I really don't consider that day to be tragedy anymore it's really a blessing when did that switch because that did not feel like a blessing at first i'm sure no not at all Um, (laughs) but yeah like our life's lowest moments can be the source of our greatest blessings and that doesn't happen overnight It, it takes a long time but i just have found just the way my story and my adversity that i've faced how that can help somebody else with their own challenges and get through uh, whatever they're dealing with, that started giving me some purpose. Huh. And it led to creating a foundation that helped other people with disabilities. And so I gained a lot of purpose and fulfillment from that that otherwise would never existed without my injury. Plus, I'm, I began a motivational speaking career. Huh. And that's what I do full-time now. But to be able to share my story and give people the 
tools and the steps to be able to make a breakthrough in their own life and to uh, make more of an impact is incredibly, again, fulfilling. Uh, I just love what I'm able to do. And so through the foundation, the speaking, uh, my first book, the second book that's coming out, the film, all these things have been ways for me to give back and to serve others. And so I just feel very grateful for that. And I also felt like it led to meeting Emily, uh, my wife. And so I just, when I take stock of all the blessings that I have, a lot of it came from my injury. Years and years ago, I would never have felt this way. But I kept going and I kept fighting. I kept trusting in God. And uh, he just kept opening new doors and um, thankful for the plan that uh, he's given me. The reframing process that I help people through is exactly what your life represents. I mean, it's a tragedy or a an event that they can't go back to the way it was. And through the process of evaluating what do I believe, what are my commitments, where is my support, walking through those steps, and it's different for every single person, but over time, the thing that brought you to the end of you was the thing that makes you now. And it's mm-hmm. all Christ. And there are so many new opportunities. In fact, the nonprofit, I want to encourage all of you who are listening to look up, The Power to Stand. And you said on there, I was told I would never walk again, but I decided to defeat the odds. I'm Chris Norton, and I unlock the power to stand, stand in the face of adversity, stand for an idea, stand to empower the world. And does that just give you so much encouragement when you go and talk with schools and in front of organizations what is the feedback well it's incredible to have like a you know a line of people afterwards wanting to talk to you and share their own story because uh, they feel so connected uh, with what I had to share uh, and the thing is you know yeah I had a spinal cord injury and a lot of people don't suffer spinal cord injuries not something that uh, people relate with but people relate with the adversity and the challenges that you go through because that's universal. We're all going through something. We all need to stand up through um, something hard Hmm. and to understand that you're not alone, that it's possible to get through it and even live a better life is something that people are just so hungry for and they they need it. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm so motivated to share my story in front of more organizations, to get this film going, which and we're having really excited, exciting conversations uh, with distrib- distribution, and uh, we're still raising funds for that. Um, but there's all these different ways I'm able to share the story and to connect with people and to help them. And that's what it's all about is adding value. And so I'm really thankful to be able to do so. How can people contribute to getting the movie out? Because um, I know the book, The Seven Longest Yards, um, is coming out or has come out because there's another one that you and your dad wrote together as well yeah so the first book i did was with my dad the power of faith when tragedy strikes and that tells you know my dad and i story from my injury and through the hospital and the rehabilitation process and then the um, seven longest yards is my story with emily and how um, our stories collided and intertwined and then discovering how life's lowest moments can be the source of our greatest blessings, which takes us to the wedding walk. Wow. And what a, a beautiful a day that was into fostering and to adopting and uh, all those different elements of my story that um, people really haven't heard a lot about. Hmm. And then with the film, it, it really captures 
and brings to life my story of getting hurt and um, the recovery process and then also uh, meeting Emily and, and concluding with the wedding walk. So they're all uh, telling a little bit different aspects of each story and bringing it to life uh, for people to really be moved and inspired and want to overcome their own challenge. Uh, but if people wanted to get involved uh, with the film at sevenyardsfilm.com uh, to learn more, to, to contribute, and then the Seven Longest Yards is coming out July 9th. So they can go to sevenyards.com and contribute to supporting the movie or the book or both? Sorry, yeah, it's a sevenyardsfilm.com okay. for the film. Okay. Uh, that's for the movie to get going, and then... Um, the book is coming out. That's official. It's just um, in the pre-order process right now. It'll, it'll officially hit bookstands July 9th. All righty. And it's going to be hitting bookstands when we're airing this podcast. So I'm really excited. Well, Chris, awesome. I, I have a little surprise for you before we close. Um, I did a little work and I talked to your wife. And you didn't know that. And I asked Emily, which, by the way, everyone, I want you to know she's she is one of the most amazing people I've ever talked to in my life. Um, but I asked her what she really admired about you and what she loved mm -hmm. about you. And she said, I really admire Chris's faith in God, how he's able to fight for what he believes in. And he lives his life to do what he can do to help others. I love that he is not afraid to be uncomfortable and vulnerable. And he's constantly working to be a better dad, husband, and person. He by far is the hardest worker I know with the best attitude and perspective on life. That's what your wife said about you. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that says a lot about you as well because the perspective that you have is not one of being defeated, but one of I'm going to help other people through their own pain, which will be any kind of adversity. Yeah, no, it my pain has became my purpose and I want to do what I can to help other people with their own pain. And uh, she's a huge part of that. And we also need to remember that you're celebrating when we record this, adopting four girls. So not only <laughs> you're one man in a five woman house. <laughs> Are you yes. ready for that? <laughs> yeah. So we just uh, adopted our a, a sibling group of four girls. Uh, as we're recording this yesterday. So we're celebrating that. And then also celebrating uh, from over a month ago, adopting our oldest uh, child that we fostered when she was 17. She's now 19. So she is also living with us. So we have a total of seven people, six of them are girls. So I am, there's a lot of girls here. You're odd man out, dude. Yep. Is the dog a boy? <laughs> <laughs> the dog's a girl too. So, oh my um, gosh. I'm really outnumbered. You are so outnumbered, but you know what? Congratulations. And that is just the most remarkable thing. So, anyone who thinks that if they are confined to a wheelchair or unable to move, just look at Chris's story. Five, six girls, including the dog. Did I count that yeah. right or seven? Okay, because we've got seven yards in the book. Seven. Maybe there's a seven coming up here seven somewhere. Seven females. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How can people find you, Chris, and contribute to you and just see your story or if they would like to have you as a speaker for their audience? You can learn everything about me on uh, going to chrisnorton.org. Just my name, .org, uh, Chris Norton. 
Uh, that's fine with the book, the films, my speaking, the foundation, uh, my personal story, whatever you want to know. It, it's all there. Yeah, your life is kind of open, isn't it? It is, yeah. And we intentionally have done that just so, again, if uh, people can connect and know that they're not alone in their adversity and their challenges they're going through, and if it can help someone else, then uh, we're all for it. As we close, Chris, I would like you to speak into those who are hearing this and um, they have no hope and they're ready to say, I give up. I, I don't want this. I didn't ask for this, God. I'm done. Can you speak into their lives as we close this podcast out? That there is a choice and that you can keep going. Uh, although it's painful, although it hurts, uh, when you quit and when you give up, it's final. It's, it's over. And when we can continue to wake up each day and to do our part, and to do what we can uh, to get better and to live the life that God has called us for, uh, there's going to be a beautiful ending uh, when you keep going. Although that doesn't mean you are immune to pain or uh, failure and storms are going to happen, but uh, just keep going. The possibilities are endless for your life. Not that anything is possible, but the possibilities are certainly endless. God, Chris, you are so encouraging. Thank you so much. And to all those listening, please look Chris up, um, share his story, and talk about the movie, get the book, because it really is life-changing. And Chris, you've had a major impact on my own life as we've talked, and I've been able to share time with Emily as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Colleen, for all that you're doing and for helping so many people including our own family. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, thank you. All right, bye. You guys, thank you so much for listening to this Reframing Ministries podcast. Chris Norton is absolutely incredible. I was so impacted by what Chris had to talk about when he spoke on finding peace at his weakest moments. Also, how being vulnerable creates an opportunity for others to give and the power that that opens up in others' hearts is amazing. If you happen to enjoy this or find this encouraging, I really would appreciate it if you would share it with others, as well as rate and review this podcast so we can get this into more ears that need hope and encouragement in the days ahead. You can connect with us through reframingministries at insight.org. You can also find us at reframingministries.com. And all of our social media pages are linked to that site. Your feedback means so much to me. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.